Hi everyone and welcome back to the latest episode of Builds Your Future podcast. This podcast covers everything from mindset, property investing and property development. Today I'd like to introduce Lewis Perrin onto the show. Welcome Lewis. Thank you. I'm actually really excited. This is my first podcast that I've done and it was on my goals this year to um, to get on a podcast. So I'm really happy that I've been ticking that off straight away. Oh, awesome. Happy to help. Happy to help. It's good. So what I wanted to do is, with your experience over the last few years, I guess let's kind of wrap it back and start at the beginning. Because from what I know about you and from what I've kind of seen and heard and everything, I think you've got like a really interesting journey and story to share with everyone and a lot of kind of trials and tribulations along the way and a lot of learnings, but equally, uh, hopefully, some good stories to share as well. So let's kind of start, take it back to the beginning and we'll kind of tear some questions from there. Yeah, sure. So obviously, my name's Lewis Perrin. I'm a property investor, developer from South London. I'm also a mindset results coach. And um, yeah, I ended up getting into property just because I hated my job so much. I had to find a way to escape because it was just that painful for me. And you know, it was just so painful that it just pushed me to be creative enough to figure out a way out. And I was scaffolding full time. So I was on sites every single day in the rain, in the mud. And I was just like, I'm just on the wrong side of this. So it was actually working on a developer's site that made me think and look into property. And that was, yeah, but I've been doing probably now for about four and a quarter years. So not really that long. Okay. So how long were you a scaffolder for before you kind of decided to look into moving into becoming on the other side of things? So, well, I actually went to college to do public services because I wanted to be a policeman. I wanted to be a dog handler. But uh, my, my dad said, look, oh, wow. I'm too busy at work and you need to come work for the family company now and took me out of college because he said he's too busy and um, forced me to do scaffolding. And I was there for 10 years and it was good. I was just going to stay there forever was my initial plan. So I was scaffolding yeah, for a decade. Wow. How do you feel about that in terms of your dad taking you out to do that? Is it when you look back, you kind of go, oh, actually, you know, it was tough at the time, but it's put me on the path that I'm now happy with or do you kind of look back and go oh, I wish I did join the police and give that a go what are your kind of thoughts around that well it was tough at the time because it was like my dream and it's something I'd always wanted to do so obviously when when a dream dies it's never fun but you know I hated it so much and he was very old school scaffolder like hardcore graft like that's what he valued and um it was it wasn't what I wanted because I hated it and it was really hard. And like, yeah, like on the first day, I remember saying, what time do we stop for lunch? And he burst out laughing. He's like, why do you think we'd have lunch? Why, why do you think we've got time for lunch? So we, like, we wouldn't even have lunch some days. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't even eat. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with this man? Wow. Um, but yeah, like I'm so grateful for it because one, it, it was exactly what I needed. Like I was way too weak. I was way too naive. I was way too shy. I didn't trust myself or my own abilities. So it really taught me everything I needed. Plus obviously doing that job, I learned and met so many tradesmen, so many builders, roofers, and I could see the standard of their work. So now, like my poverty in my area, like I know everyone who can do everything. I know their standards. I know who delivers. So it, it unknowingly was building me my base of a power team. Nice. Yeah, it's nice when you kind of look back and you kind of go, actually, it served the purpose and it's kind of put me on the, the right path. And 
equally, as you just said there, the tap power team that you've been able to establish around you, you didn't even realise you were doing it because you're on site working alongside these people. Mm-hmm. And now you're on the other side. You go, well, actually, I already know so many people within this area that you can trust and rely on, right? Yeah, and I know developers too, because obviously I was doing work for developers and I was the only one site who was ever curious. And it always fascinated me how no one no one asked anything. I was just always going to them, so where do you pay for this site? So what's your bill cost? So what's the end value? You're making that and you literally just show up in your Range Rover, have a look around while I'm here at the site all day and then you drive home. I was like, I'm on the wrong side of this. I need to figure this out. I was like, I just need to figure this out. Uh, that's how I, I know. It shows about- the importance of having a curious mind as well. Like a, a friend of mine's a bricky, and he said the exact same thing. He would be on site listening to property podcasts, headphones in, doing his thing, and people on site would be taking the piss out of him, saying, "Oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that for?" And he he would just say, "You'll see, you'll see." And here we are, kind of three, four years later, he's doing the development at the minute where he's going to make six hundred thousand pounds profit. So. It just goes to show that it's good to be curious and good to be be the black sheep sometimes. Mm, I definitely, I definitely felt like that because obviously I don't fit in with the, the stereotypical scaffolder. And just like your friend, I was on site, but I would have the radio on and I'd be listening to um, the Rob and Rob podcast on the Property Hub, and I'd have on like a podcast about commercial refinances and stuff. And everyone's on site, like listening to music. And I'm there listening to commercial refinances and GDBs and all this stuff. But I was just so obsessed because I had to escape. I spent every hour I could, every drive. I wouldn't listen to music. I'd have podcasts on every evening. I wouldn't watch telly. I'd be on YouTube or podcasts or trainings or seminars. It was just absolute 100% commitment, obsession. This must happen. And within two years of starting... You know, I quit my full-time job and retired my partner from her job. Oh, congratulations. I bet that was a great feeling. It's amazing. It's, it's literally, uh, yeah, it's incredible. Because I just, I just, it was just such a, they say, like, creativity follows commitment. When you're committed, you'll find a way. You create a way. How was your dad's reaction when you kind of stepped away from the business and, and did this? Well... Um, he was he was very unsupportive towards it the whole time. He was actually very, I would say, he was very against it. I don't, I was never personal, but like, there's one saying he said that has always stuck with me. And it was when I told him I was going to his property seminar, like my first property seminar. And he said, and obviously he's coming from a place of love, I guess, and advice and thinking he's helping. But he said, the only reason they do seminars is because idiots like you are stupid enough to pay for them. Wow. How'd that make you feel at the time? <laughs> okay, I was just like, oh, fuck's sake. I was like, well, we'll see. We'll see, won't we? And, uh, yeah, so, like, if he ever found out that I'd taken, like, a couple holiday days off work, he'd actually refuse to pay me my holiday money if he found out I'd gone and learned or done some training rather than being on a holiday. So it was, like, double making it hard for me to get wow. out because I'd have to save up extra I do extra days work to then make up for the time that I'm off learning on seminars, that kind of stuff, even if I took it as holiday pay, because he just wouldn't give it to me. Because uh, he was obviously very set that this That's is the crazy. way. Like, yeah, my granddad was a scaffolder, he's a scaffolder, my uncle's a scaffolder, my cousins are scaffolders. Like, do you know what I mean, this is just what everyone does. And then obviously, here's me saying, I'm going to be a multi millionaire developer. It's just, it was probably, you know, a bit crazy at the time. I think it's interesting to delve into that deeper in the sense that I think a lot of people that listen to these podcasts and a lot of people that are in the property space probably suffer from this as well, where 
they want to make their family proud and they might be set into a certain mold there and as you said there your your dad your granddad your uncles your whole family are in this sort of trade and so they want you to be in it as well and it obviously comes from a place of love and and they care about you and they want you to kind of um do well and everything else but then equally they then shaped you into this mold and you had this dream of becoming a policeman and they've kind of stripped that from you and, and put you into the mold that they kind of had set but it sounds like you've been trying to kind of break through that mold this whole time and after kind of the dedication that you've shown you've now been able to reach a point where you know you, you've done it and congratulations mm, like it's it weren't obviously it weren't easy it was like you know I mean support's the hardest thing when you're first starting out and like no one believes in your vision like it's tough it really is tough because like everyone was very unsupportive obviously it's like a complete different thing going from like you know everyone's like hard working days work for days money to then you know get into property which is you know millions and hundreds of thousands of pounds and passive income like i'd never even heard the word passive income until i was 26 like, i'd never even heard that i didn't even know that was a thing like it's so crazy like you know mm. your environment is is everything so if you're in an environment where that's not a thing like you're just never gonna hurt never have heard of it but once i discovered it like, that's what I wanted. And I'll do whatever it takes to get there. And this is this sort of area is so important to me. Again, it's kind of that mindset. And as you said there, with if people have the fixed mindset, then they, they don't know any better. This is the mould that they fit into. This is the mould that their family have done. They'll then do, they'll then pass on to their kids. And it's this continuous cycle while wanting to step out of that cycle. It's, it's hard when... You don't have the tools or the information around you. And fortunately, we're in a space now where there's, to some degree, I'd argue, no excuse. You've got YouTube, you've got podcasts, you've got books, you've got so much free material out there that you can now grow into this growth mindset, can't you? Of, oh, actually, I can do this, I can achieve this, and this is how I'm going to go about doing it. And if your family don't support you, then you'll be able to find other networks and other groups. And that's why kind of networking within property is quite good as well, where, again, I, I've had it and I know many other people that I spoke to have had it, where you're going down the pub and you're saying, oh, I'm going to this property seminar, seminar or I'm doing this. And they go, well, what are you doing that for? And why aren't you here with us? And, well, you know, you guys are my friends, but this is where I want to be. And this is the work and dedication I have to put in to achieve that. My friend's my friends because oh, it's a change of identity right and that's the problem because you're changing who people perceive you as and people don't like that change right people want you to be who they know who they love and unfortunately in this industry you have to grow and you have to change so like my friends when I first started doing videos and that they thought I was going crazy they was literally mocking me as you can imagine I was getting ripped like it's right so if people watch this on the thing can they actually see if I show a picture right now of like one of my posts uh they they won't be able to see um no, no it's just because I, I done one of my first posts try and put myself out there and then within five minutes so i was like right and i see some picture pop up in the group chat and that was what someone drew on my picture and posted it in our friends group chat just i was just like oh, oh wow. it killed me it took me so much to post that first thing i was putting myself out there i was like oh, i hope i get good feedback i was so nervous and then boom hit hard but there was a great saying that I love by um you know a rapper called Dave and he said would you rather be the people talking or the person doing all the things that people talk about and I knew 
that I need Amen. to be the person that everyone talks about. And I was becoming that because I was doing something so crazily different. And I thought maybe I just need to be the example, show people what's possible, and then they'll you know ask questions and then it will free them. Because at the moment, they're just, you know, in a fixed mindset and they don't realise that they can have anything they want. But until they believe that, like, I can't help them. It's interesting we kind of talk about culturally where I find stepping into this area and wanting to get into property is hard enough in itself. You're learning about how to raise finance. You're learning what, you know, buy to let is, for instance, or learning how to do a refurb. And you're trying to learn and absorb so much information around property and then when you have kind of friends and family essentially kind of dragging you back in and sometimes it's a bit of banter and everything else. But I find that it, it, it's hard to kind of step into sphere, let alone people then trying to drag you back as well. Right. And I guess it's a bit like going to the gym for the first time. and You feel like people are, are looking at you and you're a bit nervous and everything like this. And as you just said there with your Facebook posts, it's your first one, your first stepping into property. Oh, you're a little bit nervous. And now I reckon it, if, if, if somebody took the piss now, it'd be water off a duck's back. Right. You'd be like, you know what? I'm so confident in myself. I've been there. I've got the results. I don't care what anybody says about me. But back then, when you're first starting, even someone taking the mic can really have an impact on your confidence and, and where you're wanting to go, right? Of course it is. So now imagine like my fear of the next post I'd done was now double because I've been got before. So what did that teach me? If you step out, you'll get got and you'll get mocked. So I was like, right, I'm now putting myself in a position to be, you know, like publicly humiliated within the group. So obviously that adds a layer of pressure but obviously my dream and my commitment to my goal was bigger than the fear of being judged. So that's why, you know, it didn't stop me. So eventually I've just I've just done so many videos, so many posts that it just becomes normal. But, but obviously when it first started, my friends used to, every time I see them, they used to pick up the phone and go, oh, hello world, look at me. And that was always the saying, hello world, look at me. Right. But listen, it's fine, isn't it? Because they're all still in the same jobs, doing the same thing and the same weekends. And it, you know, it does upset me because obviously like, I wanted them to come with me, but sometimes it's just not, it's not for everyone, but like not everyone wants it enough. Mm. That's okay. Like, and like you just said, like once, once you're confident enough in yourself, because obviously back then like, I really valued people's opinion of me, but now like I, I value my own opinion of myself more than anyone else. So like, as long as I know integrity wise, I'm doing the right thing for the right reason. Like I don't, I don't, I don't longer fear judgment anymore because I know, I know who I am. And I think that's the best place to be. Once you know yourself, you're you're comfortable and you're content, right? And people can say whatever they like, but I always be water for ducks back. Yeah, because I, I know the truth. I know who I am. I know my integrity. I know my intentions. Like, I know that. So, like, you could say what you want. Like, I know that that would be false if it was anything negative, because I know, I know that. But it weren't always like that. It took me ages to get over that fear of judgment and all that kind of stuff. But that's part of the journey. And that's why I really do feel like... PD, property development, and PD, personal development, go hand in hand. Like, to try and do property without mm. the personal development, man, you're going to struggle because, you know, the level of pressure goes up, the responsibilities go up, the, the problems just get bigger. So, like, to be able to handle that, you need to be working on yourself so regularly. And my mate Italian Sam has an amazing saying. He said, information is free, like you said earlier. Like, you know, information's everywhere. But implementation comes with a fee. So information's free, implementation comes with a fee. And this is why I'll always pay for help. This is why I'll always pay for help. And the people that don't pay for help move the slowest. Mm. 
you see it a lot where I know quite a few property investors where they will scrimp and save over every single penny and they will try and argue with each trade over every single pound and pence and they end up just pissing a lot of people off to be honest and then things take two three times as long because then traders can't be bothered to turn up and complete tasks and you know maybe some of your consultants you rub up the wrong way and everything else and actually sometimes you have to pay people their dues and that that that's one of the ways to kind of actually get respect and get the work done right pay people when they're supposed to be paid and obviously don't let people take the michael but equally you can't take the michael the other way it's a two-way street and it's this partnership and as you said at the beginning the, the power team totally agree so i i would always try and go above and beyond what anyone else is willing to do because property is a people game it's pure people business it's uh, who you know Every step of the way, you're dealing with people, right? So I always make sure because of how I position myself in property. Like, I don't just do one strategy. My property strategy is a people strategy, which we can talk about later because it's not. I never heard anyone talk about it before. Um, but like, I'll put the extra effort into look after people. So the builder who built this property I'm in now, the Grade Two listed coach house conservation area, I've, I spoke to his wife upon the completion of the build. I said, "What's his favourite place?" And she said, "His favourite place is a racetrack." with this spa so i paid for him and his wife a whole weekend away to a spa hotel he got tickets to the uh, museum there and a go around the racetrack it cost me obviously quite a bit of money but like he's helped me out he's done this whole build like he delivered on time everything went perfectly i want to reward that behavior so now next time i have a build because of that reward he got off me where he may not got someone else he's naturally inclined to want to help me more do i mean like all my all my team get hampers so my brokers get hampers my solicitor will get a hamper like everyone gets looked after because you're my team. Like without you guys, I can't do nothing. I'm so reliant upon my power team that I want to go above and beyond everyone else just because, you know, like I, I appreciate it so much. I think that's actually a great take. And anyone that's listening should really take that as well, away as well as people like to have the, the pat on the back and the, the thanking the well done and showing that appreciation and getting them a bottle of champagne, getting them a hamper, taking them to somewhere personal special to them that they like i.e. that hotel that you mentioned their hotel and spa and these small little things okay it might cost you a couple of you know a hundred quid couple of hundred quid depending on what what gift you're getting them but they'll remember that and they'll remember that for a long time and when your back's up against it and you need advice on something or you need you know somebody to, to drop everything and come assist you asap these people will be there because you scratch their back so they'll scratch yours got to look after people it's a people game so i make sure i really intentionally you know put the effort into get to know them personally to look after them to be friends to check in how they are because they're genuinely my team like i see them as i don't see them as oh i paid the sister a grand so she has to do that for me and that's you know that's just how it works like i'm totally not like that like, i'm way more inclined to wanting to help people because it's just it's so much more fun winning together 100 percent so we've broken through breaking the mould from your family and your friends. How was it with your partner? Because you've been with your partner for quite a long time, right? So that must have been interesting for her seeing your change throughout that process. Yeah, she just thinks I'm a complete lunatic, basically. She always has done. Like, I've always been a bit different. But yeah, we've been together since we was 15. So since high school. Wow. I'm, I'm 31 now. So, you know, nearly 16 years we've been together. So it's quite a lot of time and obviously she's seen my change from obviously a flipping boy to a man to scaffolding to now probably investing and to be honest like her parents are very um you know 
like they just have very standard jobs, very standard lifestyles. So like when I started dreaming and coming up with all these ideas of what I'm going to do and I mean, she didn't, she didn't believe it was possible because I've always been a trier and I've always tried different things and I've always failed at everything. But it's like, I just knew there was something else I was meant to be doing. I I was willing to try anything. I used to sell sweets at school. I tried to sell cars. I tried to do crypto. I tried to do trading. I was always just trying all different things. They'd always fail. So when I started property, she just assumed it was like another phase or whatever, like a get rich quick scheme, whatever. And it was just going to die out. But like the passion, the excitement for it just kept growing and growing and growing. And she just, she just literally can't comprehend what's actually been achieved. Nice. So uh, what was her reaction then once you um, was able to kind of retire her from from her job? Because as you kind of said there, I think, again, a lot of people have it where they have this mindset of, yeah, they get to trading or they look at crypto and it's kind of that golden penny syndrome, isn't it? You kind of look on YouTube and people are looking into drop shipping and Amazon FBA and this, that and the other. And their partner must be thinking, oh, here we go. Here, Here we goes again, sort of thing. But future stick at something consistently deliver and then being able to kind of retire her did, what was she what's her kind of views on that fear straight fear <laughs> because obviously my job provided certainty and security right so if, if she's now out of a job that's one less income so now we're half a certain because she obviously sees you know like a wage as a certain income so now when i wanted to leave my job it was even more fear because now obviously the whole responsibility is on me we just had another baby and I left my job before I could afford to leave. Like I need to make that very clear. I could not afford to leave my job. So that's why I left. And when I tried to explain that to her, she was like, no, 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 because you can't afford to leave your job. That's why you don't leave. And I was like, no, no, I need this tactical pressure on myself to make sure I do whatever it takes to keep us afloat to make this dream, you know, work. Cause if I do it, you know, passively and safely, it's going to take me longer because I, you know what I mean? Like there's no pressure there. So I tactically jumped out of my job maybe half a year or more before I could even afford to just to make myself think, Oh my God, where's the next income coming from? Right. Push, push, push. And it literally created that pressure and drive to do more than I would with, you know, with the security with a job. Interesting. That's uh yeah, it's an interesting take. We we spoke about it on another podcast where we were talking about kind of comfort kills and I think that's kind of testament as to what you said there really is you know, people that are in, in very kind of comfortable jobs and are very kind of happy and content I go, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll find a buy to let tomorrow, um, you know, next month and the next month turns into six months and, and then they don't actually do anything and they're they're not really that fussed. But I guess because you left earlier than you probably should have how did that feel at a time where you kind of confident that you're going to deliver or, or were you kind of, you know, secretly shitting yourself and proper nervous or, or how did that kind of come about and what, what was the outcome? So obviously I, I had a coach at the, t- at the time. She's still my coach now, Claudine Robertson Smith. And she was like, listen, you need to leave now. It's too comfortable. Your progress will, you know, speed up so much more when you're under more pressure. Right. And this when we see what you're really made of. And obviously Devon had just left a job. We just had a baby and now I'm leaving my job. So we've got two kids. She has no income and it's all down to me. And now I'm leaving my job when I can't afford to. Can you imagine how I must feel for her? Like, it must have been terrifying because she's like, oh my God, what if this happens? Like, Because she didn't, she didn't have the vision and the dream I have. So it, it must have been horrific for her. But I knew that I'm the type of guy and I will do whatever it takes to keep us afloat. So like I did obviously absolutely shit myself because I had no certainty 
but I had a belief in myself that I was willing to do what it takes to make this happen. So it was it was a mixture of both. And, um, you know, I've, I had to borrow money, I, you know, for Christmas. I, I paid for Christmas stuff on credit cards. Like, it weren't fun, but looking back now, it is such an amazing decision. Because, obviously, firstly, it bought me six months more of my life where I didn't have a job, where I got to take the kids to school and be there all the time. And it created such a level of push and drive in me, you know, to take on more deals and push harder and do more that, you know, I, I think it was it was the best decision I made. There you go. Forged in the fire, as they say. Yes. I mean, the biggest killer of greatness is good. When things are good, you don't want to risk good for great. And that's why I wish everyone more pain, because pain is the biggest driver. And some people just aren't in enough pain. Like, if they just had a bit more pain, they'd make a move. But they're just too comfortable. And that's that's, that's the problem for me. So mm. I've always made sure I stay uncomfortable. I think it's a good mentality to have always seeking that again it's what you said about that growth mindset you're always seeking that next opportunity and and beyond that comfort zone is is that area of discomfort but that's where growth will take um you know you go go leaps and bounds i'm there now i'm like why have i put myself here again why do i keep doing this why can't i just be happy <laughs> why can't i just be happy being comfortable i just i don't know what's wrong with me i just have to just keep pushing so hard like i just can't help it Okay, we're well, talking about pushing then. Let's let's start at the beginning. So, how did what was your kind of first property deal, and what did you kind of first start working on, and then we can kind of progress how those deals changed and flowed throughout kind of the the last four years then. Okay, cool. So the first deal was so simple. Like I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I just want to copy someone who's doing what works. So I went to a networking event, the Property Hub meetup, and one of the guys who ran it was um, Andy. Andy Garnett, and I was having a chat with him at the, one of the first events. He was telling me about this essay he has in North Wales. So I was going, okay, cool. So where is this essay? He's like, oh, it's in North Wales here. So, okay, what does it make you a month? It makes this a month and, you know, how much it costs. So literally, after that meeting on the Wednesday, I went on to Zoopla, found a property in the same town within a quarter of a mile of his one, booked a viewing for Saturday, drove four hours, done one 10-minute viewing and four hours home, and I got the offer accepted. And my partner obviously thought I was crazy going, you're driving eight hours to one viewing. What if you don't get it? I was like, listen, this is whatever it takes. I'm leaving my job. Like, it's not about convenience now. It's whatever it takes to make this happen. I know this works. I've seen the numbers this guy's making. So anyway, I drove there, offered on it, got it accepted, drove home, eight hours, first deal secured, right? So I was absolutely buzzing, but obviously I didn't have money. But I did know someone who'd recently sold a property. So I approached them and said, look, I've got a property here. We can JV on it. I will do absolutely everything. You just need to put the cash in and then just leave the rest to me. And obviously that was an insane deal for them. But obviously the reason I offered too much to them was because I didn't have much um, first negotiation skills. Secondly, I didn't have much belief in how much value I was providing. I put all the value on the money. I thought the money was worth more than everything I was doing. But obviously they agreed to it. And then Andy, I approached Andy to manage it, and it was making like fifteen hundred pound a month. My mortgage was one hundred and six pounds. Wow! So like it, it worked and it killed it. And then obviously from my Facebook posts, a friend of the person who invested on the first deal reached out to me and said, "Hey, I've seen what you do with my friend. My mum's just passed away. I've got some inheritance. Could you do something similar with that money?" And I was like, "Of course." <laughs> do you know what I mean? So then. 
that then led me to a conversation with my friend Dan Hennessy in Liverpool. He was he was going to buy this buy to let, but ended up buying um, another house that he converted to flats. So he said, "Look, I'm buying this buy to let, but I'm just struggling to raise the finance." So I was like, "I've got the finance. Just sell me the deal. Let me have this one. I'll give you a I'll give you a sourcing fee," which he agreed. And then so that was ended up how I yeah he project managed it for me. So I literally just connect people, and then this goes back to my property strategy. I don't do specific niche strategies. Like some people just focus on buy to lets, HMOs, rent to rents. I see myself more as like the conductor of the orchestra. So every player has their part, an instrument, like a solicitor, spent years learning to be a solicitor. You know what I mean? Like, so every instrument is different. And I just bring everything together. So mine's a people strategy. Mm-hmm. So I'll find the investor. I'll find the sourcer. I'll find the builder. I'll find the broker, the solicitor. And I just bring it together to make something happen. So I don't focus on niche strategies. Nice. So the the first deal then, the the income that I was bringing in, what was the the setup with that with you in terms of that JV partner? So the setup was um, we split the monthly rent, sorry, the monthly income 50-50 and any equity 50-50. So should we sell or refinance, you nice. get all your investment back and then any uplift we create is 50-50 and the income is 50-50. But we've refinanced that one, pulled all the money out, plus 10 grand, so they've got all their money back and we split that 10 grand, 5 grand each, plus obviously we've been making money on it for the last nearly four years now. Was that a successful property really? over COVID, I can imagine, with all the staycations, etc.? Oh, no, it died over COVID. It, it went terrible. We could only have, um, luckily, it is near a very large hospital. So we was having a lot of um, like hospital staff stays, but we was doing it at a really reduced rate just to help the staff. So we wasn't actually like making great money. And um, two of my friends, Andy, they, they was getting inc- like 10 grand grants for their properties there. And I applied for mine and they said I was literally just missed the grants. So I didn't get no grants, no help, nothing from that. Oh, no. 10 grand in terms of grants he had five essays and he got 10 grand grant per SA. he had it's crazy they were just just to keep the money. business afloat yeah they just gave out 10 grand grants wow. it was nothing I, I, I missed out i was gutted oh, that would come in so handy but it's just what it was i think it just goes to show the importance of networking though and as you said there's being the the leader of the orchestra it's i'd say that you're you're a good connector you're a good people person you're a good communicator and so having those connections is one of your kind of special talents and that's that's the thing that took me so long to find is like my role in property and this is why like the better you know yourself the quicker it is that you'll figure out your role in property and when people say what strategy should i do i would say each strategy is is personality dependent i really think it is because, you know, some people aren't ready for the responsibility of a development, but some people can't handle that level of debt and that level of problem. You know, some people might not like the uncertainty of the SA income that, you you know, one month you might kill it, one month you might not. So that like, depends on your personality it will really depend on what strategy you're going to like really niche into. And I couldn't figure out what my niche was is because my niche is a connector. I'm a people person. Like, I don't want to know everything, but I just want to be able to know everyone that I can just bring everything together to make stuff happen. And that's what I've done really successfully. Nice. So I saw uh, on your Facebook a while back, 
the the site that you got planning permission on. So run people through that site. Which one was that? Sorry. Oh, nice. Well, let's run through a few of those then. I'll let you uh, start. I was going to mention the one bed house. Oh, that's a cool little deal. So that one, um, again, came from my network. So I was telling the people at work what I was doing. And um, a painter said to me, oh, there's a garage opposite my house that I think you better do something with. I said, well, listen, if I can, put me in touch with the woman and, you know, let's meet up. So I had a meeting with the woman. She she said, yeah, look, I think you can get something here. I agreed. And she wasn't ready to sell. So I said, as soon as you're ready to sell, let me know. So I followed up, followed up, followed up. And I actually met up with her every six months for two and a half years. I followed up for. And my, again, my girlfriend was going, why are you meeting this old woman for another coffee? It's been two years. Like, stop, stop this. I was like, look. It will pay off. So eventually, I got the call. She wanted to move. So I was like, right, I'll agree to buy the garage, subject to planning, because it is just a garage. And she didn't like the idea at all. Totally against it. Because obviously, if I don't get planning, the garage is worthless, because it's just someone to park a car. So she said, I won't do it subject to planning. I'll only do it, you know, non-subject. So I said, well, based on that, I can only offer you like 60 grand. And that's at a risk to me. Um. So mm-hmm. we negotiated because she wanted a hundred. I don't know why she thought it's worth the world, but landowners seem to think their land's worth more than gold. Um, so as soon as, so whilst we was negotiating, I put in a pre-app straight away because you can put a pre-app in on someone else's property without them being notified. So I put a pre-app in, had a meeting with the council. The council said they really like the scheme and they can't see any reason why they reject it. So as soon as me and her agreed a price, 65 grand, and then we started moving to solicitor stages. I instantly put in planning permission straight away to get the process going. No messing around because obviously I wanted to know. And I ended up getting planning a week before I completed the deal by accident, which I actually was annoyed wow. about because, as you can imagine, I was like, "Oh shit, I have planning," and she's going to know. And then I've got no contract to say that I that she can just take it and sell it for more money now. And then I see my phone ring and it was her. I was like, oh, God, no. And she rang me to congratulate me on the planning and didn't say anything about wanting more money, which I couldn't believe. So I borrowed the money from an investor, bought the garage. So I didn't use any of my own money, paid 65 grand for it. I got the bill quote back and the GDV back. And it was looking like I was going to make about 50 grand on it if I bill it out. So I decided to, because auctions were going crazy at the time, I got an auctioneer to value it, and he valued it at 120. So I was like, hmm, I could make, you know, nearly, again, the same amount of money doing zero of the work instead of having to go through the whole page and the risk. So I chucked it in auction, and the video's live. I was literally sitting in my nan's house, in my nan's kitchen, with my nan at the time watching the auction. It sold three months, within three months of buying it for 158 grand, and I paid 65. Wow using investor money. It's just a paperwork exercise. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was unreal. Nice. So the, it's so interesting that, that you said that. Um... For three years. Like, this is the question, because I was following up for two and a half years before that, because the money's in the follow-up. But obviously, from the, it was just a paperwork exercise. But still relationships. Yeah, actually, uh, I was going to skim over that, but it's, it's, it's a very good point that you captured there is, the, the power of the follow-up. And I think, again, you see on Facebook and with all these groups that people send out the, these letters, et cetera, and then that, that, that's it. They don't get a response or 
that they just never follow up ever again when actually the power is in that follow-up of one, kind of sending a letter, but then two, don't be afraid to go and knock on these people's doors and, and kind of introduce yourself, tell them that they're interested in garage and you know, the worst thing they can say is say no, we're not interested. Well, then you're back at square one anyway. So it's there, there, there's essentially a, a zero loss to doing that sort of strategy and, and following up with these people. As long as you're obviously polite and and come across as a, a decent human being, there's different ways to carry yourself. But as long as you're uh, a decent human, then I don't see any issue in, in carrying yourself that way. No, dealing direct is it's so much easier dealing direct. And what was actually, I feel a bit sad about this, but only because like what was even more exciting than the auction and obviously getting that amount of money was going to the bank. I went to the bank straight off the auction. I got out £2,000 in cash and I'd done it in £10 notes to make the money thicker because it just felt better. And I drove to that painter's house. I knocked on his door and it was COVID times and he answered and he had his mask on. And he was quite like very COVID safe. And I was going, how are you going on? Yeah, look, I've, I've sold the garage. And he started asking questions about it. And I said, well, look, I sold it auction the other day. So I've just come to give you your share. And he's like, what do you mean my share? So I just pulled out two grand cash and just put it in his hands. He literally just stood there and went, can I hug you? I was like, yeah, yeah come in. He's literally like, ah, oh, come in for a tea. <laughs> just because he's like, but why would you do that? I was like, well, if you didn't put me in touch with her, I would never have bought it. So, like, this is all down to you. So, this is like a sourcing fee. And most people are like, but he didn't ask for anything. He was You didn't have to do that. I was like, no, no. I had to do that for me because I felt like it was the exchange of value, right? Well, you can imagine as well, being a painter, he, one, knows other trades. He, two, will visit a lot of different homeowners and he'll go, oh. If I see something else now, yeah. I'll definitely let Lewis know. And if I see an opportunity or I speak to someone, and again, it's that kind of that good karma of paying it forward, isn't it? Hmm. I, I enjoy giving. I I, I want to get rich, not for me. I want to get rich to give it all away. Like that's my goal. Like I don't need. I don't want to do it because I need the money. I want to do it because I just want to have a massive impact. I want to help a lot of people. Just it just felt right because obviously without him, I would never have had that deal. So I was like, I owe him. I owe him. The least I can do is give mm. them a sourcing fee. Minimum. Yeah. Well, going back to the legal side of that, I found it quite interesting because usually people obviously try and lock things down under an option to protect themselves in terms of changing prices, etc. But when you're looking to purchase something unconditional, you then kind of obviously get it under an option. So then there's that kind of that tough balance between the two. But what I would have done if I was you, and it kind of worked out for you in that sense, but... Luckily, until I'd had planning permission, I would have just, I, I would have, I would have delayed and tried to stall the the legal process as much as I could until planning permission was landed and then boom, ready to complete sort of thing. But yeah, it just so happens because obviously the last thing you want to do is complete on something. Planning's not landed. You complete and then planning's refused, and then you think, oh shit, I've just paid for this garage and now yeah. it's not got planning and what will I get for it now if I was put in auction etc so yeah it worked out really well for you and obviously a lot of good learnings there as well so many I didn't even know what auction agreement was back then like this was when I was very very new so it's just like you know I, I based so much off integrity and I, it's interesting because when we deal with like I bought a few properties of quite a lot of older people and they've always honored their word and I, I like, I was brought up by my granddad, and I feel very strong about that. Like, my word is as good as a contract. So when I agree things with these older people, they've always honoured it. So I feel like 
that's also been part of my like confidence in people and my trust in people is that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. I know probably it's not always like that. And my good friend Shane Duff had a great quote. He said, security guards integrity. And I love that quote, right? Because it, it, like security protects the nice. integrity of what people are going to say. And that's why you have a contract, right? Because it holds people to the integrity of what they said they're going to do. So I, I totally get it, like how I could mm. have done that better. And I did get very, you know, very lucky. But also I was willing to take the risk on the garage. Yeah, it's about reading the room, isn't it? And when you're dealing with certain clientele, you go, actually, I want to get a contract in place just to give me that security. But if you're dealing with like a, a nice older lady or an older gentleman and the, they, you know that they're going to be good for it sort of thing, then you can usually feel a bit safer in your assumptions, right? It still makes sense, though, to have got a contract. And just, just because everyone's protected, she's protected, I'm protected. And, you know, say yeah. I say I died on the way to buying it then at least people know what I've agreed and what should happen to, so if she needed the money so like I would definitely recommend just doing stuff professionally but at the time I just didn't know <laughs> like, I just didn't know it was a thing there you go the power of knowledge so you, I, I didn't realize that you got plan permission a few other bits as well run us through a few yeah. other things then so the house I'm in now is the grade two listed coach house conservation area area of outstanding natural beauty private gated resident owned estate took me two years to get planning on this one it was horrific absolutely horrific as you can imagine um yeah i just i obviously i found it is actually owned by my nan and granddad they bought it about 30 years ago and um they tried to sell it with the house and then the house never sold and i just obviously getting into property i just looked at it and i thought i'm sure i could do something with that like, I'm sure that could be something. Everyone's like, you can't. Look, it's a conservation area. It's grade two listed. We're on this private gated estate. Like, no one's going to allow it. Like, we, you know what I mean? I was, so they just said it would never happen. I said, well, look, would you at least let me try? Which they said I can try. Because I thought I'd rather try with the possibility of something amazing happening than not try at all. Because that time was going to pass anyway. So I was like, I'll take the risk on the money to try it. So but obviously, to make sure it's all fair, we got a free estate agents to value the garage as it was. They said it was worth £40,000, as it is. And then two years battling conservation, planning, neighbours. Um, yeah, I got. I managed to get planning permission, even though all the neighbours wrote in individually against me and then met as a committee and sent in as a committee against me and refused to let me go to the committee meeting to, to fight my corner. Um, and then the conservation officer hated it and I had to yeah, disagree with him. And then, um, oh, it was so much rubbish. It was absolutely insane. But yeah, two, so two, after two years, got the planning. And then um, my planning, the planning guy called me up and went, I'll just let you know, I forgot to put in for listed building consent. So now we've got to do another application that everyone can object to. I was going, oh my God. Wow. After two years. So, they, they, so like from thinking it was done to then, oh no, by the way, the dream could still be over. So then put that through they objected i got that and then i got the utility company around they said just so you know there's no cable that we can spur off to power the property so i was like oh my god it's over again because the electrics because it's at the end of a 400 meter private road they said the only way we can do it is by upgrading the cable on the road and it's going to cost you you know hundreds of thousands to do, dig up the whole entire road relay everyone's houses and the residents just wouldn't allow it anyway because they own the road so again 
The third time, the dream's dead again. But I managed to overcome it. As I always do. And there, yeah, mate, honestly, so... There's about how did you overcome that? So that one, how I overcome it was, because my nan's house used to spur off her house to power this garage, I then had a conversation with the the guy who manages how, you know, the, the power of the electric that's going to take on the property. And then we had to come up with an agreement of the usage of the specific things that I can put in the property that can offset this. And literally it took ages. And then eventually he went, you know what? I actually think it would just about be enough on the phone call. So it's only because I rang him and disagreed with him and said, look, it's powered this. I've done this here. This is it. And then like only through the conversation did we then negotiate and actually come to some sort of agreement. So again, it was back on again. Wow. Oh, it's happened so many times. This so is just a great example of, of of being in property. And as we said when we before this podcast started, the constant firefighting, right? You've you've got not only the conservation officers you're dealing with, the, the planning officers who then got the NIMBYs and all the neighbours coming together as well. So are you uh, are you not a very liked person now on that road or has it kind of settled down? I was totally me number one. <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just constant stuff like that. Like I just said, it was basically like, I knew I was going to be punched in the face every single day. And I just had to take it and just figure it out. Right. And make my next move. And bear in mind, I'm going through all this and I don't have any money. Like I have no money to build it. Like, so it's just like, what are you doing? It just was just crazy at the time. <laughs> so when planning was finally granted, obviously then I wanted to, to buy it. And my uncle spoke to my nan and they actually was trying to talk her out of letting me do it and say, look, it's too complicated if he's doing it. Let's just sell it. And then obviously I then had to go around, sit with my nan, my uncles, and then like fight for my dream to to make this happen because they was actually telling her that, you know, it's too complicated if I do it, even though they allow me to spend two years and, you know, all that time and effort to get planning, that they were just going to sell it and, and I'd get nothing out of it. So... That's the hardest one. That'd be a bit of a kick in the teeth, wouldn't it? If, if they then said, oh, actually, we don't want to go into the family member. We don't want any complications. It's complicated. I wish you had that conversation two and a half years ago before I started. So, so run me through it then. So, you, you've, you, so you've got planning permission. Congratulations. Happy days. Everyone's jumping and cheering. And then you kind of go, oh, shit, now I need the money to buy it. I need the money to do it up. Um and then obviously with the with the view to live there as well. So how did you kind of go about it? Was it kind of investor finance that you rose or was it development finance? Was it a bridge? How did you kind of go about raising the finance? And equally, how was it converting it? Obviously being grade two listed, et cetera, I can imagine it coming with a lot of complications and probably the first grade two listed you've worked on, I'd imagine. So what was your learnings from that? So obviously before this, I'd only ever done those two buy to lets I told you about so the SA and the buy to let which was just so straightforward just put down your deposit and you got the house like that's all I done I never even managed a refurb so um obviously once yeah my uncles were trying to talk my nan out of it we then they then got their own independent agents round to value it now with planning and they valued it 125,000 with planning so they was like well if we sell it for that you know nan can get this so I was like so what's the value of what I've done here so I actually agreed to buy it for the full market price with planning. So to take nothing for all the time and effort I've spent getting it from 40 grams to 125, I said, I'll pay you the whole 125 if you let me if you let me do this. To which they agreed, obviously paying wow. the full market price. But on the condition 
that we do almost like not an exchange of delayed completion, but basically she'll put the garage in my name and upon the refinance of the development, I pay her back the money for the garage. So it's almost like, okay. what would you call that? I wouldn't vendor finance in a way. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah. I just put no yeah. money down basically. Like I was like, I said, look, you know, I'll pay the full price. If you put the plot in, once I build out and refinance it, then I'll pay you the money. So now I own it using no money. So you're able to go to a lender and say, so you're able to go to a lender and say, we have this property. We now need the finance for the development. Through Facebook. Because I spoke to a few oh, lenders wow. okay. and obviously based on my experience of nothing, they said that I'm more likely to get finance doing a new build that you can run off a sheet than I am converting a grade two listed building because you're dealing with what's there. No one knows what's there. So I had to raise all the money privately off Facebook. I was raising five grand, 10 grand, 15 here and there, just based off my, my new network. Um, and also, I didn't even know how much the project would cost. I had no idea. And neither did the um, the builder. Because, no. look, stuff can come up. Like, you do realize, like, if the foundations aren't great, you need to underpin 100 square meters. Like, the, the build costs will go through the roof. But I was willing to be responsible for that. So um, we started the build. And the first thing he noticed was that one of the pillars that's holding up two stills was literally just bricks on top of mud. There was no foundation or anything that was holding up the roof. So within the first two days, I've got a call saying that stop all works on site. It's totally unsafe. We've now got to get, you know, like the um, architects out. We've got to get, you know, like building rigs out and all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine there was so much stuff that, that came up with this. Um, trying to think of some terrible things that happened so that was one bad thing another bad thing was that you know the, the listed building consent guy was absolute nightmare to deal with and he made me take pictures of all reclaimed bricks down all different sections of the building to find the perfect brick that matched and this was during covid time so i was trying to make it happen when no one was working so i actually convinced the guy who owned the brickyard to drive to the brickyard leave me the keys outside the yard let me in and then I go around, collect a handful of bricks to go home and take pictures to match it all up, which to finally get some form of agreement on, on what bricks I can use. Um, wow. It was a lot. So one of my investors, obviously, because it's a new deal, wanted a charge on the property. And because it was still going through land register, I actually gave them an RX1. And I didn't realize that that would actually prevent me refinancing it until they agreed. So I'd borrowed all this money, I'd done the build, and I'm trying to repay everyone and i've got a deadline but i can't refinance till this rx1's lifted so that obviously delayed things by several months and then when the lender came out they said oh by the way you know because the back wall was so leaning they wanted to see my structural engineer's report which i didn't have so i had and then they wanted to see my new build warranty which i didn't even know that was a thing so i didn't even have new build warranty because i thought it's not a new build how is this new it's like a hundred years old so I was going, oh my god, I need to refinance. I've got I've got an RX1 on it. I need a new build warranty. I need structural engineers report. I don't have any of this stuff. So I had to get retrospective cover, which was horrific to get, and they killed me obviously in expenses on it. So once I'd solved these three problems, yeah. they went, right, can you just send us your drainage certificate or something like that? A drainage certificate. And I said, What the f- what is that? Rang the architect, the architect went, no, the builder sorts that out. So, oh, perfect. Rang the builder, the builder went, no, the architect always sorts that out. No one had done it. So now I need a drainage certificate. 
Do you know what I mean like just just it was just such a, like I was just in so much unknown it was ridiculous because I literally was I didn't know anything I did not know anything but I just knew whatever come up I would be able to figure out. I think that whole story, the project manager in me, you've just given me a heart attack. <laughs> just just kind of blindly stumbling through the whole process. I mean, fair, fair play to you. It was, the, um, it's a bit scary now looking back because I was so unaware of everything. I just thought the builder does everything and the architects and they just sort themselves out and it's done. Like I needed to get an MPAN number. I need to get the services in. I need to get the TV in. I, need, I actually got to name the building because obviously it was a new build. I got to name it. And I actually named it after mm. my son, so it's called Hunter's Lodge. And my son's called Hunter, so I thought that was super nice. cool to be able to do that. So, yeah, it was just constant That's problems cool, man. Like, I... every day, just going, oh, fuck's sake, what now? Oh, my God, what is this? And it was just, it, I just accepted that that's just what it is. Fair play. I think what you've just said there kind of shows also the importance of, first of all you, you don't know what you don't know Education. and secondly kind of the importance of, <laughs> the, the, the importance of knowledge but then equally the importance of a mentor if you had kind of the, you know a, a, the right to develop a mentor around you for instance they would have been able to kind of guide you through first of all pricing it up to at least a semi-accurate point of view and then adding in all the, what we've called kind of these abnormal costs in terms of the foundations and everything else that, again, you, you wouldn't know unless you have that, that knowledge and equally getting all the correct things in place in terms of the drainage report, etc. Et so, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, but at least you know that now. And obviously that's not as you can apply moving forward. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much... Out of interest, then... So much stuff came up that I just couldn't even believe. Like I needed to get an EPC, and then I needed to get what's the other one that's not done off the thing? It's done off the architect's calculations. I don't even know what that is. I need to get another. Did you have to get an NHBC report as well? No, not that. Not that. Hmm. Well, just just for example, just okay, stuff always comes up. Yeah. So obviously, I've got it's a grade two listed conservation. I've got to have specific windows. Halfway through the windows being built, yeah. and obviously this is during COVID, the guy who's building the windows, his wife gets cancer and he quits his he quits like like just stops work to go and spend time with his wife. So we've we're delayed now until he can finish the windows. Like who would have thought that would ever come up? It was just madness. Like yeah. it was just it was just stuff that no one can predict was just happening every day to me. And I was like, is this what is this what probably it's about? But like you said, if I'd have had help, if I'd have had like a, a mentor who's into developing, or if I'd have actually gone on a course, I may have had a checklist. I could have been more prepared. But I give myself credit for my absolute enthusiasm and willingness to go into the absolute unknown to make that and do whatever it takes because I pulled it off. And the best bit about it was obviously I paid one two five, I spent one two five on the build, and the agent said the profit would be worth about four to four fifty which is obviously incredible. So I thought, I'll get a mortgage on that. I could pay the investor back only for some money. But I didn't believe the agent. I, I think, I was like, I don't think they're right. I think they're wrong. And obviously, what do I know? I've only done two projects. But my belief in, in this project and what I've done, I made the valuer meet me at the top of the road. 
I made him walk with me 10 minutes down the whole entire road selling the shit out of this going it's completely unique it's in conservation there's nothing else like this selling in the history because this was a private girls school before that's been converted so I was telling him about the school showed him around okay. I was literally just selling 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 the valuation report come back he valued it at 600,000 wow so I pulled out all money wow. out plus 150k leaving in 180k equity that's mad wow that's a good day right it was, it was worth the two and a half years of planning and then how long did it take you in terms of the build phase six months it's going to be five but because of the delay oh, wow. it ended up being six yeah the build team were incredible. They didn't, they was absolutely brilliant. Obviously the neighbors were getting them. They'd sweep the roads down every day. They was just, you know, polite parking the right places. Like they really put the extra effort into, you know, not causing any disturbance to people's lives. Nice. And how long have you been living there for now? I've been, well, actually that was another problem. So when I went to refinance it, obviously I didn't earn enough because I just quit my job. Devin just quit her job. So we couldn't get a mortgage on it. So no lender would touch us as a personal home. So that was another punch in the face. So I had to get it on a buy-to-let and let someone else live here until I could afford to, to my income call up. So again, I'd done all that and I didn't even get to live here. So I've only been here three months now. <laughs> Honestly, it was unreal. You, I, the, wow. Disheartening. I, like, that, t- that toughened me, man. <laughs> I, I'm, like, it was just constant, everything, getting me. No personal development. Imagine having none of that. Like you no, I'm not surprised people just quit. They just go fuck this. Like you've got to really be working on yourself to be able to handle the amount of change of plans that come up. I think that is the definition of delayed gratification. You go through two and a half years of arguing with planning, finally raise the finance, finally do the build get the refinance that you wanted to and then can't afford to, to move in so you have to rent it out. But, Can you imagine? Yeah, no, that, <laughs> yeah, they won't lend on you. You can't live here. You have a job. I was like, fuck's sake. Really? What? I mean, where's the land? So the, the income... <laughs> the, uh, I bet that was a nice day when you moved in there. I bet you, you and the family were absolutely buzzing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I was so, it's such an emotional attachment to me because obviously, like, yeah, it's like, my granddad's place. I've got to name it after my son. And actually, the best thing was sending my nan the hundred and twenty-five thousand because she'd taken out equity release on her house because when my granddad passed, because obviously she doesn't have an income, so she took out equity release. So sending her the four hundred twenty-five thousand and saying you'll never have to worry about money ever again, I literally cried my eyes out. I felt so flipping proud of myself for what I'd done that I took this forty k garage through that whole fight through all that crap to then finally be able to send her enough money so she will never worry again. It was, it was that, that was worth more to me than, you know, anything. Nice. That's fantastic, man. Good on you. It was brilliant. It felt great. Cause obviously I could have said, Oh, well, you know, Oh, the garage only worth 40 grand. So can't I give you the 40, but I wanted to give her the, the, you know, the full value of it. And obviously when I did, everyone mm. was pretty happy about that. Cause just helps them out and she paid off the equity release and she's sitting on some cash so now you know i've i've got her as an investor of mine so that money that i made her she can invest with me and now that makes her passive income pays all her bills so essentially like i've made my name financially nice. financially stable so she never has to worry about money ever again 
Let's loop that back to the very beginning then, because that will link in nicely. So this coach house that you've refinanced and, and worked on over the last few years has been within the family. And as we said at the very beginning, it was that family and your father's mould that kind of put you on a certain path and kind of um, stuck you on a, in a certain direction, let's say. What are their views now you've gone through this process? You've, you've used your knowledge to get planning. You've used your knowledge to get finance and do this conversion. And you're now at this point. How does your family feel now out of interest? Just what I do now, right? It's just what I do. Like That's just what they know me as, just the, the guy who does property. So, like, it's you know, my dad is actually my stepdad, but, like, he um he's now an investor of mine. So from going, the only reason they do property events is so you're stupid enough to pay for them. He now invests his cash with me. So I'm making him money. Do you know what I mean? So like, like obviously my nan, I make her money every month. So like, you know what I mean? So like, and my mum, she was always the one who said, look, you can do anything. She never, never questioned anything. She always, like, that was always the belief system is that, you know, you can do anything you choose to do if you put enough effort in. So now it's just, it's just, yeah, it's become very normal what I do now. But my goal is to obviously to make enough money just to, so everyone can just retire. Nice. I think that's a, that's a great story. That's a great way to round it up, kind of breaking through the mould. And although it was very tough and challenging, oh. you kind of persevered and you pushed forward to the point now where your family have now kind of accepted that and they believe in you and they're now investing with you. I think, yeah, it's a fantastic place to be. Congratulations. It feels amazing because it's like, it felt like, you know, I mean, all them years that I, I could see the vision and they couldn't, it's like, I proved that right. Like, I was right. This was the right thing to do. And I've shown you a different way. And now there's different ways of making money. So now I, I make everyone more money than their money in the bank. So I mean, I sent my nan 125,000. Mm. Never has to worry again. It proves that, like, listen, this was the, a brilliant decision. And I'm only just started. I'm four years in. Like, I'm four years in. I mean, we're doing a 46 bed commercial conversion at the moment that will gross 32 grand a month. I'm just warming up. Like, I, I'm taking this to. I'm, I'm easily going to do over a hundred million. Like I'm certain I've done the maths. I, I'll easily be able to do a hundred million probably. Over what time period? Well, I was working it out. I was like, probably price double every 10 years. I've only got to get to 25 million and wait 20 years. And then, do you know what I mean? So if I get to 25 million by the time I'm 40, wait 20 years, by the time I'm 60, that's hundred million portfolio. That's if I do nothing for 20 years. Like, that's so achievable. It really is not that far. Because my bigger goal, the reason I'm doing all this, because at the moment, within five years, I want to buy 100 acres of woodland and I want to set up and pay for a forestry school for children. Like, that's where my money's going to go. I want to buy okay. loads of woodland, nature reserves, and create forestry schools for children. I feel like it's so disconnected with nature, especially during lockdown. All people, imagine living in flats and you're stuck in a flat for that amount of time. So I want to bring people back to nature and I want to protect and, and you know, look after nature. So my goal is just to, to get enough money to sponsor charities and just buy loads of woodland. But that's what this is really about. Nice. I think that's a fantastic vision to have and interesting to see how that progresses over the next couple of years. I'll, uh, yeah, definitely stay in contact. Yes, I think it's been a great podcast and I'll have to get you on another point to run us into this HMO that you just kind of dropped yes. there. Maybe that'd be the next thing to uh, keep people keep, keep looped in wanting to hear back for more. So yeah, we'll definitely drop that. The next one I, I get you on, mate.
Yeah, please do. Like I said, I'm always in discomfort. Like, I've only done a six bed HMO. Now I've gone for a 46 bed. So you can imagine like the scale and size of problems is slightly different. So like, got to keep pushing. Oh, it's just a natural progression, isn't it? <laughs> six to 46. Yeah. As you do. That's the next step. It's not 10 or 12. Like, why would you just, why would you just do that? <laughs> so if people want to get hold of you off the back of this, if, is there kind of any ways that they can do it? Facebook, Instagram, etc. Or Yeah, so I'm on, obviously I'm on all social platforms, um, Facebook, Lewis Perrin, and um, on Instagram, I'm at Lewis Perrin Coach. Awesome. Brilliant. Is there anything else you want to share before we shoot off? Just I appreciate, you know, jumping on. And obviously, it's been obviously me talking a lot. And I want to find out, you know, what you've done. Because we met ages ago when you beat me at the uh, Property Developer Secrets Day. And, you know, it was was 100% the right decision. I can totally see that, you know, that they definitely chose the right person for them for what they needed to do. And they gave me what I needed to take my next step. So, like, I feel like every decision they made was absolutely spot on. And obviously I've seen you posting some bits, but I don't actually know fully, you know, the progress you've been making, what you do now. So obviously I would, you know, whether it's on this or not, you know, would love to find out more. No, I really appreciate that. I think, yeah, that was a great opportunity for everyone involved. And it's really nice to see where we're all at five years later. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Isn't it? It's so cool. And again, in five years time, we'll see. We'll see where I'm at. We'll see what I do. So we actually get to find out how this plays out. Awesome, man. I'll see you in another five years. <laughs> sure will. Oh, thank you very much, Lewis Perrin. You're welcome. <laughs>